0: everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Awaken Empowered TV. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Michaela Sheldon. And today we're going to be doing another episode where we're doing some channeled questions to uncover some of the mysteries of uh, of our ancient lineage and also putting that in the context of the modern world and what's going on today so that we can Uh, sort of incorporate some of these ancient uh, teachings and wisdom and actual techniques into our modern society that we live in now. Um, So uh, for these channeling uh, shows, uh, I don't discuss with Michaela ahead of time what my questions are. So she can be completely out of the uh, loop as far as uh, I don't want her to have any biases or any thoughts in her mind about anything we're going to be talking about. Of course, she is a trans channel uh and because of that uh, the information that or what she's channeling her mind does not interfere with it but but just to be extra cu- careful and extra sure i prefer not to discuss these so these are completely fresh uh questions that um she has not heard so um so we're going to get right into it now and uh move on to this subject uh, so whenever you're ready um last time we talked a bit about um uh tantra and relationships and things like that and i wanted to delve more deeply into into that and in particular this time talk a bit about the divine masculine and feminine but i want to start with a general understanding in the context also of what's taking place in the world today and then by the end of our conversation go back around to ancient wisdom and teachings and uh, and how we can apply them so to to begin, I want to understand in a modern uh, context, uh, how, as far as the ancient teachings would would apply today. How would we perceive a divine masculine or a divine feminine person? Like, what are the characteristics, uh, if if there are even any? For example, is divine feminine characteristically what we think of as feminine, you know, women who um, are more nurturing and warm and caring and mothering, uh, and maybe even um, dress in a a more feminine female way, as we stereotypically know of it today anyway. Um, And characteristically in our society, women uh, who are more feminine tend to have longer hair, or men don't characteristically have that. Uh, So there are certain physical qualities and of course, uh, hormonal uh, differences as well that we notice today. Um, And men, characteristically, as we know of it today, uh, what we think of as a a male man is more masculine, uh, tend to be more physical, maybe more analytical, um, and more of that strong father figure versus the nurturing feminine side. And, and men in our society, on the whole, certainly not all, tend to have shorter hair, although I know in Native traditions, men had longer hair as well. But I'm trying to understand what does, what does the divine masculine and feminine look like in day-to-day life if we were to apply it and if we were to aspire to those characteristics today?
1: Well, this is an interesting and multi layered question. And we are the Pleiadians, and we're so pleased to bring our insights I- into this discussion because there are so many ways to look at these ideals of, of masculine and feminine. Of course, if we are taking this to the highest level, every being is a creator, and as such, must contain both the masculine and feminine in In some semblance of division, uh, not necessarily to associate with it as a a character or or as a soul playing out a story, but in order to fulfill a destiny because masculine and feminine energies they have their origins uh, within the cosmos and and we are speaking here, of course in in terms that are understandable by all of those who are watching, because we know there are varying religious beliefs that must be accounted for when we are referring to the prime creator, uh, which is known as God in in some circles. So if we bring this into a more physical uh, manifestation or or discussion, uh, as you are requiring of us, we would say that there's a huge difference between the masculine and feminine definition as it is coined in biology, uh, and the masculine and feminine that has evolved through a certain lineage or ancestry. And and both must be accounted for and certainly apply because on on every planet, in in every star system throughout history, masculine and feminine exist. It simply exists through an evolutionary process and and has become something uh, well-defined and understood. So what you are uh, explaining to us in terms of the more uh, feminine and and softer qualities, nurturing, for example, and and the more masculine and, and protective qualities of a man, these have become more associated with on earth. Uh, than they have been in other star systems. And, and we can go back to ancient civilizations and say that in, in native tribes, even, uh, these positions were revered, but for, for, for very different reasons than they are today. So, so let's first take the roles uh, of masculine and feminine, and then we'll speak a bit to the biology and the chemistry and the makeup as you have um, uh, requested. What we notice about communal uh, gatherings, uh, whether they be tribal in nature or or even more cosmic or or futuristic is this, it is natural for beings to take on certain roles that they are predisposed to fulfilling, whether that is nurturing young children or, or teaching them in some way uh, or whether it's tending to the earth and, and building shelter, uh, even hunting and gathering for the tribe, there's a certain makeup that exists within the genetics of humans that that predispose them to these activities. And that predisposition we think is sometimes looked at and, and categorized in a very negative way. Uh, yet we think it's such a, a positive part of, of who you are and, and who you've become from the very beginning of time, Uh, the seeding of humanity, for example, and and all of the multidimensional genetics that you have enhances uh, these roles as they have been uh, uh, playing out throughout time. However, we do note that the masculine and feminine balance and, and chemistry within each individual has to take on a, a certain dominance uh, in order to fulfill these roles, and and this is why you may notice the difference uh, in in uh, structure uh, or in in um, uh, the the natural again predisposition to to love and nurture and to care. It is not exclusive to the feminine or to the masculine, but but certainly uh, souls choose these um, um, biologic um, characteristics in other words, because they somehow suit a part of the plan that, that they have already orchestrated. Meaning uh, women may come to the earth and, and already have chosen a role uh, in mothering. And while that doesn't take away their desire to do other things, that is something that is so important to the evolution of humanity that it's revered from the heavens. But what we've noticed throughout time, um, and and we could go so long and so far into this topic that it could take up uh, the entire period of time that we are spending together is this. There has been so many different malevolent influences uh, and forces that is affecting this natural evolution that sometimes uh, it's very hard for souls to to truly fall into with with great ease the choices that they have made. Uh, In other words, the, the homeostasis within a feminine or a masculine being is very easily found if there's no resistance to that choice. But once resistance has been implanted in the mind, or, or perhaps um, certain toxins have entered the body, or there's been programming from, from outside of the self, um, these very uh, um, subtle and, and we might say even profound um, balances of masculine and feminine become um, slighted. And, and this is what you are witnessing right now to, to, to a certain degree. Um, genetics have been such a huge focus on planet Earth for such a very long time. And, and in fact, we could say this history comes from the cosmos. We revere our genetics in, in Pleiades as many other races and star systems revere their own because genetics, they're everything. <laughs> There's such a a beautiful and and, um, delicate interplay between our genetics and and everything that we become uh, either physically or non-physically or both. So for anyone to have access to our genetic template and to somehow attempt to skew it is to weaken our lineage. And this is what we fear has happened. So it isn't necessarily important, we think, that a divine feminine or a divine masculine being has to fall into a very narrow definition or or range of what that is. But there are some things that will come natural to them that are so ingrained in these predestined choices that if it is resisted, can take a soul off of its true path.
0: So, okay, so based on that, what you're saying is and I'm just going to paraphrase for my own through my own words so that you can tell me if I'm on the right track and continue from there. So what you're saying is that our genetic predisposition as masculine or feminine in divine masculine or feminine does tend to uh direct us towards certain activities and uh, and if that's if i'm understanding correctly so for example men might be hunters um and women may be the ones who prepare the food in in some tribes uh, in older and more ancient and maybe even some indigenous tribes today on the planet uh and in even in western society until fairly recently Um, those roles are similar. Uh, Maybe prior to the 1970s in in the United States, as an example, uh, that was more characteristically characteristically true, uh, where women prepared the food and they took care of the children, so they were mostly homemakers, and men typically went away to work. Um, So if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that our genetic predisposition toward masculine or feminine would lead us into preferences for those types of lifestyles or um, uh, ways of living or choosing?
1: We agree. Uh, You're clarifying what we have stated well. Yet we want to make the topic a bit broader in terms of these roles. Uh, and we know you are generalizing here, of course, because for us to say, that every divine feminine being comes to nurture children and feed children would be an an overarching definition that would not account for for many different deviations of this, of course, because some women come not to certainly give birth to children but are here to birth other things and to become nurturers of uh, the earth and and caretakers um, of of the, the sick. So we can't say in every situation uh, that we can clarify so rigidly, yet we, we agree with the premise uh, of what you are stating.
0: Okay, so, um, the, so the premise being the idea of those characteristics, such as you mentioned, nurturing. So it may not be children, necessarily, um, but maybe... Maybe a woman or a divine feminine woman may decide to be a schoolteacher or something else of that nature. Whereas, for, for example, if we reverse the roles, if a divine masculine were to um, become nur- the nurturing parent or, um, or take on a more traditionally female role, is that still divine masculine
1: Let's explain this from a different viewpoint um, and, and then we'll answer your question because we want to talk a little bit more about the makeup as we see it, uh, divine, masculine, and feminine, how it plays out through, through a soul structure. Uh, and, and, and let's speak in terms of, of physicality. So uh, every soul that comes to be human uh, has a, a mind, uh, a body, uh, emotions, as well as a spirit. And and while all of these things are, are accessed and utilized, what we tend to notice is divine masculine our beings are more available to working well within the physical and mental constructs of their energy body. And and that isn't wrong necessarily. In fact, a divine masculine being can be an incredible teacher by channeling these important insights and and aspects of self and and using them as a tool uh, to offer to others. And and in the same way, uh, Divine Feminine, we believe, is more accessible to the emotional body uh, as well as the sensitivities of spirit. And, And because of this, can certainly be more nurturing and, and available to those areas, but can become uh, a teacher in this way. So it isn't necessarily the roles, again, that we wanna focus on, uh, so much as how those roles are addressed differently uh, in terms of these different energies, if that makes sense.
0: All right, yeah, I, I do. I do understand the direction you're going. So essentially, we're going to talk about the roles necessarily, but the way that the, the individual exercises those roles. So, for example, divine masculine, I think you said was more technical or more, um, um, what was it, uh, thought oriented or logical or something like that, right? So, for example, a divine masculine who was a teacher might be, would we say, a physics teacher or an engineering teacher or maybe a shop teacher or something like that?
1: Possibly, but there are other interests, of course, that a divine masculine being could pursue. But but let's put this back into the family unit and and, and the tribe, uh, if you will. Uh, A divine masculine being having such incredible access to uh, a mental processing and a physical processing that a a divine feminine being doesn't, uh, can utilize those gifts and talents to ensure that uh, the, the, the thought process that goes into something is complete, uh, that the physical nature of what must be done is, is handled. There's a, a certain, um, we'll say reliance on that, that the divine feminine has that makes her role in accessing what she has available to her easier, in other words, and, and to apply it even wider. So, if a masculine and a feminine being are working together and they're truly uh, working within their strong suits of energy, they are going to complement each other in in the most perfect way, and, and in doing so, complete the whole. so So again, we want to take this out of the realm of of a teacher having to teach a certain subject because we know that there are certain divine masculine beings who are very adept at art. Um, They are channeling their divine feminine self, uh, which has been rare oftentimes throughout history and bringing it to the surface in a different way. So there there are varying degrees of this that we don't think are necessarily wrong. But when those degrees become far too intensified or or far too out of balance, that's where we begin to see, um, we could say some inauthenticity going on in the genetics.
0: So he said divine masculine is, is more physical. So is that why characteristically in uh, tribal societies, as well as in, in um, Western societies today, men tend to gravitate toward more physical activities, for example, hunting uh, for food, for example, and, and why men tend to have a, a more muscular physiology uh characteristically um and um when I mean, you said um intellect or something like that i forget the word that you use exactly but so we tend to or uh, divine masculine tends to have more talents in or they process their environment through those avenues
1: Well we like what you're saying here the the processing is key but but also uh a soul's energetic signature, uh, let's say, is made up of several things. First, the masculine and feminine balance, and, and that is going to determine uh, which areas they process through. But but in addition to that, there are a variety of opportunities we might say for a soul throughout its entire life to explore. Uh, the, the masculine or feminine that isn't their true nature. And, and this, we think, is just as important um, uh, as anything else because in, in a spiritual sense, what you're noticing on planet Earth is, is the awakening of the masculine through its more feminine sense. And, and this isn't necessarily wrong, but if it is chosen uh, as the dominant part, of the self could take a soul off its path.
0: Okay. So to put that in the context of what's going on in the world today. Um, well, first of all, before we get to that, are there any limitations that the divine masculine has that would limit it in terms of things or way, ways that it can process its environment or experience? Um, that the feminine does very naturally and vice versa is the divine feminine have any limitations beyond which, uh, that are more masculine that the masculine can do very easily.
1: We, we don't want to use the word limitation, but, but we'll say there's a threshold uh, where the divine masculine, for example, being uh, more predisposed to, to the mind and the physical body uh, is is truly able to offer something very unique through those parts of self. And while it can explore uh, its feminine components, and, and we think that's an amazing thing to do, it would never become fully the feminine being that uh, a true divine feminine soul is. And, and this is why. The biochemistry and all of the the sensory outlets in in a feminine being work completely differently than that of a masculine. We're not saying here that the sensory system of a masculine being is weaker, but what we are saying is it isn't its first instinct to work with because in ancient civilizations, there was a reliance on the the grandmothers and the wisdom keepers and the oracles and the the matrons who would come in and and support the men in the tribe with channeled information, with um, instincts and intuition. It's not to say that the hunters and gatherers did not also learn that, but they learned it in such a physical way, as you could imagine. Uh, The hunter and gatherer would begin to feel the, the senses of the skin, uh, the, the changes in in wind and, and the, the speed that a bypassing animal might be picking up as it senses danger. Uh, these are the subtle intricacies where perhaps a more masculine being would be using its body and, and its outer senses versus a, a feminine soul using the, the inner uh, psychic abilities and, and intuition. So the instincts work a bit differently, biologically and biochemically, uh, for a purpose. Uh, it isn't to say one is is better or worse, and they could be adapted in in both masculine and feminine to a certain level. But our question is, why would you choose to do this when when? you have come with such, uh, an ingrained strength, uh, to, to work with, to try to change that ingrained strength or to work against it is why we see so many on planet earth suffering today.
0: All right. Well, on that, on that, uh, topic, um, as I mentioned earlier, part of the 1970s in the United States, and, and I don't know if this is true globally, but actually it's, not true in all areas. Exactly the same timing, but we'll use this as a uh, as a conversation topic. Uh, but prior to the 1970s, um, we had more female male roles in society that were much more defined than they are today. But since then, with the uh, for example in the 1970s the women's liberation movement, and we've come now to modern times where um, currently we have um, a trans movement, non-binary, LGBTQ, et cetera, um, all those uh, further steps in a, in a direction where the lines between male and female are becoming blurred. Is there a particular, are, would that, is that a good thing that we're exploring those uh, experiences or is that taking us farther away from, uh, I mean, for example, you were saying sometimes it's okay for divine masculine to explore some feminine qualities, but beyond a certain point, it becomes detrimental. Um, Have we reached that point or, or is all of what's taking place in the planet today an essential part of that journey to becoming more perfect uh, divine masculine and feminine beings?
1: Well, In our viewpoint, uh, everything has its purpose, meaning there will be times on any planet and within any race uh, where extremes are are gone to in order to explore uh, things like masculine and and feminine and how they have been defined throughout history, such that they can evolve uh, and become something better. But... There's always an underlying factor that that we must account for, and this is focused solely on planet Earth because we know this is where you reside and and what you are uh, most interested in. There have been so many malevolent influences throughout history that have been focused on eroding your genetics. That many of the the patterns and the belief systems and, and the implants that are coming to the planet today in, in terms of certain storylines and characters that humans must adopt are very uh, outside of the realm of your true um, blueprint uh, or divine plan. So, so we want to go back perhaps to something that we've stated previously and, and often in these discussions there are always going to be periods where the pendulum will swing to one side. And that is because it has been on the other side for so long that a race wants to explore the the difference in in what it has been living. Contrast uh, abounds. And that contrast gives us not only um, something to navigate our personal reality, but also a premise for evolution. But, Never have we seen such extremity uh, having stayed in for such a long period of time. And this could only be because there are hierarchical forces at work. Or um, we might say from a a numbers standpoint or a, a population perspective, this many people choosing to not associate with a certain gender And we don't believe it's wrong, again, necessarily. We think everything can be extremely helpful and purposeful in self-realization and and a soul becoming something that it is meant to always become. So so we might add that there are souls right now on planet Earth who are predestined to experience exactly what you are asking us about, even though it seems um, outside of what you might expect for a human race, and that is taking humanity in a specific direction. Even in families, some of these souls have been born to to parents and, and entire lineages to to show up and challenge certain ideals. Now, you mentioned to us uh, the nineteen seventies and, and and feminism uh, movements and things like this. And, and when we speak of malevolent force and, and we speak of um, programming, this is exactly what we are talking about. It is not to say that a, a divine feminine soul choosing to live in a certain way beyond what it has been taught is wrong. But to train an entire population uh, in the rhetoric that, that we have observed is not natural. And and we think it's taken way too many souls off their 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 path uh, beyond what they are meant to experience.
0: Now, the movement in the 1970s, feminism was orchestrated behind the scenes by the U.S. CIA organization. So it seems like so what you're referring to is that there are these different institutions or hierarchical structures in our society today in the world. Who are essentially orchestrating these movements and 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 hold and bringing them to an extreme uh, and holding them to that extreme longer than it should be.
1: And it, we can use a brilliant analogy here that we think many would understand. Uh, when you are planting a seed, as long as that seed is pure uh, and organic, organic and and receives. Uh, the natural resource that it needs, it it will grow to be whatever it is meant to be. And and it will serve many people. But on the planet today, many of your seeds have been changed genetically. And those genetic seeds are in very sterile environments and, and they are receiving the same thing to become exactly what someone wants it to be. And this is what we see happening in humans, unfortunately. If a seed is left to itself and in a natural and organic environment blossoms to prefer to become more heavily focused in masculine and feminine, then it is most likely on track of its divine plan. But if a a program or um, uh, an, an, an inorganic structure has been changed or or placed within that seed, we might say, uh, it's going to blossom to become something that it was never meant to be. Uh, Something that might be exactly the same as everything else. And and this is the um, concern, we'll say, that we have uh, when you're mentioning organizations like this and some of their messaging. Uh, it is like planting something in the seed of the mind that that blossoms a soul away from its true path.
0: So today we have a lot a lot of messaging that's going around um, to what appears to be to feminize the masculine more. Uh, for example, uh, a lot of messaging to not eat meat anymore, which typically men tend to like to eat meat. Uh, and also, for example, like uh, testosterone is being called a poison these days. So although I realize that testosterone isn't what makes man, man, or uh, divine masculine, masculine, but, but, uh, but these messaging, these different kinds of messages are starting to become very dominant in society today. Uh, is that all part of that same taking us off track to go to one extreme?
1: What you must uncover is the the foundational purpose behind all of these messages and and the the actions that are also accompanying them. Um, and and with great respect for those who might hear this and and feel a sense of fear, uh, it is never our intention to highlight something uh, that would cause harm to a soul's vibration. Yet we would be remiss if we were not to acknowledge that there is a group of hybrid humans on planet Earth with a malevolent focus to both change the human genetic to weaken the potential of humans to make certain decisions or to be in uh, power or or a sense of sovereignty, uh, and also to lower the population to a degree where it is more manageable to control. These two foundational reasons uh, will be seen or or can be uncovered in in every one of the agendas that we see playing out on, on planet Earth today.
0: So what you're saying is the all these different messages and also the various um, movements toward feminizing men and making uh, women more masculine are to disempower society and make them weaker, more, more easy to control.
1: Well, there is an energetic standpoint to this that, that must also be understood. We've talked a great deal here about the chemistry and and the biology, but from an energetic standpoint, masculine and feminine, uh, these energies are not just creative in nature. They are restorative and they are strengthening. They can also be healing. So if a divine masculine being believes that it must focus only in feminine and a feminine being must focus only in masculine. They are working with somewhat a, a a weaker component of their own energy field. And in doing so is not able to, to show up and provide uh, this energetic exchange that we speak of.
0: Uh, You said, you mentioned that, um, If a being or a human or soul comes into a physical body with a certain structure, there are certain tendencies that you naturally will be drawn toward in life. So, is it reasonable to assume then that if these different um, interferences had not occurred in our society, that uh, human beings who were born into a female body would uh, always? or at least most of the time, gravitate toward more of the uh, divine feminine characteristics that we already discussed, for example, intuition and feeling and emotion versus uh, someone born into a male body would almost always, if not always, gravitate toward uh, more physical and, and characteristics that you mentioned that are attributable to divine masculine?
1: Well, there are deviations of this. So we hesitate to use the word always because we know of course that souls come to have multiple and, and infinite experiences, not only uh, of their genetics and divine masculine and feminine energies, but, but also um, certain talents and abilities that that don't um, uh, preclude uh, a soul based upon gender. And, and we'll give you an example. There have been time periods where the feminine masters have been the leaders of the tribe. They have been the wisdom keepers. They have been the ones who have gone out and roamed the lands and and, and built the temples. Now, in these circumstances and in in these civilizations, it was because it was meant to happen that way. Uh, There was not the balance of, of masculine necessary for the feminine to rely on. So there was a reliance upon themselves. Now, we don't see that necessarily being the case in this day and age, Uh, but we do know there are a variety of souls coming to planet Earth right now who are living out predestined plans to explore the, um, we'll say, the the alternate and perhaps uh, unseen part of their energetic signature, which in a masculine being might be feminine and in a feminine being might be masculine. We don't see this as a problem. What we do see as a problem is the influence of society to to do this as the right way. And that's what we're noticing about the the time-space reality you are in is that this, this influence is is creating an unnatural type of of evolutionary process that is guided in the direction of a very slight number of souls and what they want for the planet.
0: So um, obviously, we're all having our human journey at this point. and although, as we discussed earlier, some of this has been taken off track a little bit by the hierarchical structures in the world today. Um, Nonetheless, we're evolving through these experiences, uh, even though it is an extreme. And and at some point, it will come back to middle or to a more neutral place, I imagine, with the wisdom and experience we gain from going to such an extreme. Um, From your perspective, uh, can you even foresee whether or not we are going to remain in this extreme for, uh, uh, an, uh, for the foreseeable future or, or are we near the end of that extreme and going to return back to neutral?
1: We always see multiple possibilities, but, but we evaluate those possibilities based upon a, a certain match to your vibration as a whole. And, and there are some good signs that that we would like to share. Uh, first, we are noticing a, a great number of humans awakening to what we have just spoken of this this foundational agenda uh, and those that are behind it. And because of this, they are becoming, we'll say, internally rewired uh, and consciously awakened. To to the idea of living uh, more authentically and and outside of some of the the false timelines and 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 pathways they've been on for for a great number of years, even beyond the generations that are embodied on on planet Earth today. Um, however, the extremity that is taking place on planet Earth is it necessarily something? That we think is going to change right away, and in extremity or intensity, uh, chaos even can be a very positive thing. Even though we know, uh, in human bodies, it does not feel this way. And and this is why, when there is intensity, when there is chaos, uh, you can guarantee there is a new design coming into being. And and we are not sure exactly what that new design will look like because all of you. Uh, are deciding together, but we do see the fate of those who are working behind the scenes. Um, So so imagine that a collective comes together with a single intent and that that intent is malevolent and and perhaps focused on uh, weakening human genetics. And all of those humans have a common time or criteria through which they are meant to focus their will. This happens all of the time in everyday life, but many of you do not recognize this. Uh, humans will come together to create something. And that creation may be a, a corporation, a, a business, uh, and the business falls apart. And there are many fingers pointed and, and a lot of discussion about what went wrong when in fact, It was a soul timing that brought these people together. They were meant to build something and walk away at the exact time it would deconstruct to give them a different experience. And all of those involved in what they've created, something new as well. And so we can say wholeheartedly uh, that all of those who gather with malevolent intent have an expiration date. Not to say that it will be a stark change right away. What you may notice is is a waning or or a weakening in their influence, and this is already starting. Even though they may still be creating chaos uh, and intensity, uh, the way that humans respond to that is going to be the key. Meaning, if humanity falls into the chaos and becomes a uh, falls victim to it, uh, we might see a revival of, of some of the activities that have been taking place for the last couple of years. And we know this has already been discussed, uh, that there may be future accounts of what you've just gone through. That is never a guarantee. Uh, Even though uh, from a a more cosmic or or even astrological standpoint, uh, there are influences that will come in that may be challenging, nothing is ever set in stone. Uh, you are all co-creating it together.
0: I'd like to spend a little time talking about uh, how we get back to a more divine feminine, divine masculine state, but, uh, but uh, we'll get to this spiritual component of it later, uh, the spiritual practices and things of that nature. I want to first talk more about the more physical components of it, or if there are any. For example... Regardless of where we may be as a male or female uh, human being, uh, let's start with female, for example. How does that individual know if they're operating in an optimal divine feminine state, in a purely physical sense, not the spiritual part, we'll address that later. But, for example, are there certain interests, or uh, not interests, but... um, directions or things that they should pursue in life to develop those qualities, perhaps even career interests or lifestyle choices, or are there any physical components at all? Or is that not at all important?
1: There is no outer measurement of a divine feminine souls uh, ability to harness that energy to its fullest. Uh, The only measurement could be contentment internally and a connection, we believe, with other humans in that soul's life in a way that is is, is soothing and nurturing. Because ultimately, this is how we see divine feminine souls. They are healers and, and they are teachers and they are nurturers. And if that piece is missing, even internally uh, of the self, or even especially, we might say, uh, internally of the self, um, that should be a red flag. That there is something going against the grain in terms of your ability to to properly channel that energy. So so we can't say that showing up in any specific role is is so important, uh, other than Uh, the way that a divine feminine mm, soul feels uh, within themselves. Uh, And that is often something that we think is um, minimized right now uh, on planet earth. And and we'll give you an example of what we are speaking of. So many uh, humans today are are struggling uh, with depression for example or or stress or anxiety and and many of these uh, have been diagnosed uh, with certain illnesses mental illnesses or diseases this is a sign that ultimately you are going against the grain of your natural sense of energy because if you are feeling anxiety and and somehow predisposed to the outer world controlling your inner, you are holding back on on a natural essence uh, that is your birthright and and able to be channeled and utilized. And and we know we are saying this in very easy terms. It it, it may seem that we are speaking down to those who have these diseases and they should be able to easily uh, understand and put into application what we are saying. But, what we're demonstrating here is is how far away human souls have been directed from their true and authentic self. So so if you are living within the true balance of your feminine or masculine energy, you will uh, feel content. uh, You will feel strong Uh, you will have um, energy to do the things that you need to do and you'll naturally follow uh, instinctively uh, where you are meant to go and and also what you are meant
0: to do. Okay. So if we're we're talking about divine feminine right now, if um, somebody is born into a female genetic structure or female genetic body, let's say – it doesn't really matter what career choices or things of that nature that they pursue, but it's more about focusing on the qualities of divine feminine, such as the emotional quality or intuition or nurturing. So if, if, you're a, if you are a, in a female uh, physiology right now and you have no interest in those things, or if you have not developed those qualities, are those necessary
1: Well, 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 let's back up for a minute and and let's give another example that we think would be very valuable here. Uh, Because you've brought up the feminist movement and and the divine feminine souls on planet Earth feeling as if they have to take a more masculine role in a workplace. We don't see anything wrong with a feminine being choosing a, a more business environment. In fact, we think that it's been important over the last several years for the divine feminine to inject itself into primarily masculine energies. And this is why. Sometimes there is service here. Sometimes feminine souls are entering a more masculine dominated energy to break up patterns and to change the consciousness of those entities. Uh, Even business, for example, is is becoming more spiritually aware and more conscious as you move into the fifth dimension. But again, the problem here that we see is that there has been an overall message, a resounding message to the whole of of humanity that feminine beings are unworthy unless they are taking a position of, of work in a masculine way. And this is where you may find the perfect example of of what we have just explained uh, where someone is feeling the stress and and the anxiety uh, and the, the unnatural state of being by choosing to do something that they were never meant to do in the first place. So, so on the whole, we see the divine feminine, possibly choosing roles that are more nurturing and healing in nature, but not necessarily exclusive uh, of certain more masculine traditional experiences, if that makes sense.
0: Well, I'd like to go back to ancient times to maybe add a bit more color to what we're discussing and maybe get more understanding. Um, for example, Nefertiti, uh, held a very, uh, leadership, uh, oriented role, uh, in her time, in in her, during her rulership, which typically was a male role. Uh, and throughout dynastic and pre-dynastic Egypt, there were primarily male leaders, but every once in a while there was a female leader. Uh, and so she was one of those exceptions did she live or lead in a more masculine way or a more divine feminine way?
1: Nefertiti led through her heart. And this is quite different than how a masculine soul would ever lead. Uh, We have discussed masculine and feminine in terms of the the mind, body, emotions, and spirit. But, But let's shift now. Uh, to the frequency of the heart, because the divine feminine has come up in such a way throughout ancient history to to revere and and even practice the connection to the heart. So in ancient civilizations like Egypt, for example, the heart resonance between divine feminine leaders and their entire populations were strong. Messages were brought in through the heart, and the intuition was read through a, a, a feminine soul like Nefertiti, taking on a more or masculine characteristic, but able to utilize those things in proper balance. So, so certainly there are times when we notice a divine feminine master will take a lead role and and have a very compassionate and adept use of their physical and mental structures, but through uh, a more compassionate and and resonant energy of the heart. Uh, And this is something that we believe has been most lost uh, on the earth plane today, especially in the divine masculine, perhaps even trained out of the masculine purposely through time. So so imagine uh, in today's world, Uh, a divine feminine master coming in with profound access to the higher mind and and to the physical body and able to channel that through the resonance of the heart in a very collective way, you would see a much different society than you live in now, one that is less hierarchical uh, and perhaps uh, more abundant and, and more prosperous in nature.
0: So is, is um, living through the heart a uniquely divine feminine characteristic?
1: It does not have to be. But, but we do notice that here on Earth, especially in more ancient civilizations, the divine feminine masters have dominated in this area. And even still today, it is the reason why the uh, transition on Earth to uh, awakening in higher consciousness has been led through the feminine because it is that resonance of the heart, a very detectable energy indeed uh, that can be channeled and and utilized as as a benefit in in the feminine structure. So so the divine masculine, perhaps in this timeline that you are on, they are catching up uh, to where a lineage of of feminine beings uh, throughout space and time have had access to this very valuable uh, technology even, we'll call it, and and some today even coming back and reincarnating without having to reactivate it again.
0: So um, based on that, is it a role of the divine feminine on the planet today to lead us into a spiritual or more highly conscious future, whereas that may not be a male or a divine masculine role?
1: In this timeline, yes, we agree with you, but not in everyone. It, it is not exclusive, in other words, uh, to, to the choice of masculine and feminine. Ultimately, uh, to live in, in unity consciousness, uh, masculine and feminine must be in perfect balance. And what that means is there aren't necessarily certain roles that, that must be characteristic of, 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 of each gender, but there is a, a, a merging together of the, the strengths and talents, as we've mentioned, and, and energies of of all humans together as one. And this is how the ancients practiced. Uh, they were upholding uh, each other I- in their energy and ensuring that that energy was properly exchanged to benefit the, the whole civilization.
0: So in an ideal scenario, an individual, whether physiologically male or female, would have a little bit of both divine feminine and masculine in them?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: That is correct. But, but would it be biased one way or another based on the physiology, meaning, would a person with a male physiology be more masculine and maybe a little feminine, and female physiology be the opposite?
1: Yes. And that is what we have been referring to all along. There's a threshold in other words, and certainly someone who chooses a a more masculine role as a soul is going to have more availability to those masculine energies because they are meant to put them into some very beneficial use uh, and vice versa. Uh, And this is why masculine and feminine work so well together, because what is not um, in its in its highest quantity uh, within another uh, can be met and, and replenished as souls come together and merge.
0: Okay, let's talk about Nefertiti's counterpart Akhenaten. Um, he was also a leader uh, and um, was a highly revered leader, but also highly revered for having a very specific um, and counter to the society at the time, spiritual belief system that seemed to be a more conscious uh, belief system than what was present at the time. Um, so here's an individual who was a masculine uh, physiology, although based on his depictions, he might not have been entirely homo sapiens sapien as we know human beings to be today. Um, he might've been a hybrid or an extraterrestrial or something, but, but still there seems to be some male physiology there from the depictions we see different from Nefertiti who also, who looks very female. Um, How did he lead differently than Nefertiti?
1: If we are to answer this question, we are to, to open up the vaults of knowledge that refer to tantric practice because the leaders that were successful in relationship like this were using these practices to uh, take up the balance of energy from each other necessary to exist in a higher state of those energies. In other words, perhaps we could say the masculine today is defaulting to, to a lower frequency range of the physical and mental embodiment that they are capable of. Because if consciousness or enlightenment was truly present, these things would not be used to destruct. They would not be used to demean. They would not be used to to traumatize, uh, which was not the case with the ancients you are speaking of. A more enlightened state of consciousness doesn't neglect the masculinity within itself, but transforms it through the balance of the feminine to become something of higher consciousness. And in this way expresses through itself to change the entire collective. It is guiding. Uh, We realize that you have, have referred to, to these two souls as, as leaders. And, and we want to make the distinction between the, the leaders uh, that that you have brought to certain positions of power on planet Earth today, uh, and those that existed in ancient civilizations, like the one you refer to, they were not leading as of being in power over others. They were guiding and mentoring and providing insights such that everyone would thrive. But to do this, they had to first understand how to thrive themselves. So many of these ancient rulers, leaders, guides, uh, they were taught by ancient masters, even intergalactic beings, on how to use certain practices of breath to raise the energy from the, the lower chakras into the higher and to exchange it between the masculine and feminine, such that, the, the more beautiful aspects, the more sentient aspects of, of these parts of self were not only um, strengthened, but, but the entire physicality and, and nature of those souls would completely change. And, and this is why you see them in the most ornate and, and beautiful states that you do in, in, in ancient renderings, because they were literally becoming a, a blended um Uh, genetic uh, aspect of each other.
0: Now, were we're Akhenaten and Nefertiti human beings, as we know of today, the same species, or were they an entirely different race? Certainly not the
1: same species that you are today. And and, and the reason that we say this is twofold. Um, Humans in this timeline, uh, unfortunately, uh, and we say this with great respect, have been... Taken off of their original divine blueprint uh, so far, that you are attempting to reclaim it uh, as we speak. You are all hybrids. So to say that Nefertiti and Akhenaten were different than you would would also not be true, because you are all seated in the likeness of of many intergalactic races. It is just that in ancient civilizations, they knew this. They understood, the dynamics of of the DNA and and how to work with it and and bring it into its most uh, resilient and and blossomed light. And these practices have been lost. So what has happened, unfortunately, uh, is that humans have been relegated to working with only uh, a small subset of what's available to them within the DNA. And this has further weakened genetically um, uh, humanity as we know it. But but, as we say this, we we do want to add, it is not difficult to turn that around. Uh, in fact, so many of you have already made uh, incredible progress in terms of of activating your DNA and and uh, accentuating your energy centers and and aligning with the great light that you are. so so we have no fear in what we are saying that. Humanity would meet its demise, in other words. We, we are simply stating the the difference that we notice between who you are today and, and who humans were back then.
0: Now, Akhenaten and Nefertiti and other members of their family, some of them are depicted in um, uh, art or even in sculptures as having elongated heads, and many of them wore these very tall hats or headdresses. Um, did they actually have elongated heads? Were they an entirely different species? And what capabilities or um, skills did they, or maybe even intellect did they possess, but with that um, different structure?
1: So you must remember that the the brain uh, is not a separate organism that functions on its own in connection to the heart it it is an electromagnetic force field so at the very beginning of time uh when many different races as we have spoken of arrived on planet earth to to seed a new race they were lending uh the the highest and and best aspects of their genetics uh to these races and many of them um we're working with a higher mind and an electromagnetic structure, uh, far more um, intricate and and even perhaps uh, intense than what humans have evolved to work with today. Now in ancient civilizations, some of the elongated skulls that you see, uh, these are truly the manifestation of material, uh, a physical organ Replicating itself in size to the amount of energy and information that it had access to. Uh, in In other words, if you are um, to imagine the akashic records being a, a massive vault of of all that has ever been known or created. And hybrid beings, uh, the first humans on earth having access to that immediately, uh, you can imagine, how the human body would have to accommodate and change to allow that energy to be integrated. So these elongated skulls, uh, we could say, are are a hybrid manifestation of the more expanded genetics that that humans uh, were created in and, and perhaps had access to in those various civilizations. But these humans with the elongated skulls Uh, we're defaulting more to their hybrid nature, which which also isn't something unique only to those timelines. Let us explain. Uh, In today's world, uh, there are humans who are accessing the Akashic records. Um, Some of them uh, are becoming more sensitive to their environments, even to food and water and choosing to not ingest them at all Uh, crystallizing their DNA and even looking more like extraterrestrials. You have crystal children coming to the planet that, that are examples also of, of the the genetic predisposition to multiple races. Uh, These are no different than the manifestations of, of an enlarged skull. It's just a different interpretation in a different dimension and a different timeline Uh, than the ones that these um, hybrid beings were on. Some of you are defaulting more to your Pleiadian genetics at times, and some of you are um, choosing to explore your Arcturian genetics. Naturally, this is going to create physical changes uh, within your structure. Even the giants that are known throughout history to have walked the earth we're a material manifestation of energy and information coming to light. So the material construct of your body made of light is a manifestation of energy and information that you are uh, existing within.
0: So we're not at any sort of a disadvantage compared to some of these ancient beings with elongated skulls. We, we're just experiencing things a little bit differently
1: you are never at a disadvantage. There are certainly forces that are always going to be challenging you uh, to awaken to things that have been stolen from you. And and we think this is the case right now, as it has been the case in many other time periods uh, and civilizations, but in a moment's notice, uh, all of that can change the struggle. However, that, that you're facing as a collective is that, you as an individual can achieve so much but that individuality is still connected to to a, a matrix of collective energy and and the collective tide uh, must somewhat move together so so what you're you're witnessing is the the push and pull and the forward back motion of, of awakening and resistance and awakening and resistance but just like the pull of a rubber band when it gets too far will, will snap in one direction. Uh, we believe this will also happen on planet Earth. And what you will find eventually is, is the evolution uh, of humanity will take on uh, a completely different um, look and, and feel and characteristic uh, in this dimension and timeline than it has in any other
0: are there still physical beings walking the earth today who are from that ancestry who have the elongated skulls?
1: Yes, there, there must be. And there always are, uh, just as there are human beings walking the lineage and, and ancestry of Sirius, for example. Um, but we know it's difficult to maintain, uh, not physically, but, but genetically, the connection to the Akashic field that those in ancient times had. So so what we're we're referring to here is that perhaps the elongated skull is not exactly the sign in this timeline of what it was back then. It's simply a genetic predisposition that's playing out in physical.
0: So would an individual who has a larger physical structure, say taller or just bigger build, have more information and energy in the body than somebody who is a smaller structure?
1: Yes, but that does not necessarily mean they are making use of it. So, uh, height in and of itself is not an indication of consciousness and access to energy. It can be in a material dimension, um, um, an example uh, of how energy wants to, to uh, expand, but consciousness is always the determining factor for whether or not a soul is able to utilize what it has access to. And and so we see varying levels of consciousness in, in different souls across the board. And it matters not if that soul is, is shorter than someone who is taller. the the consciousness will always override the material manifestation of how energy and light um, uh, choose form.
0: Some of the giants uh, that are written about, and even some uh, remains that have been found in more ancient times, biblically referred to as a Nephilim, as an example. Uh, So their structure was substantially larger than the, the average human being today so do they necessarily so in theory they would have more energy and more information in that structure but were they utilizing it on the whole to the same potential so for example were they on the whole as a civilization uh, living more to a greater potential than we are able to in our smaller human structures today
1: not necessarily. So, so let's explain uh, the Nephilim and, and their arrival on earth, because we don't necessarily see them as, as human. We, we see them more as extra dimensional. In a choice to come to a planet that is not your own, there is a, a transitional process that is quite miraculous that must take place. It is like moving between dimensions. Uh, Any time that you are moving from one dimension to another, you are reconstructing everything that you are and everything that you know. So there are drastic changes that are apt to take place. What you're noticing in those ancient giants, for example, is how light at a very high speed, very high vibrational speed became slowed and manifested into form. And certainly the large size is accommodating the amount of information and access that those beings had. But when it finally comes into being on earth, it doesn't necessarily automatically ensure the same access is had. Because remember, these beings that travel from a long distance, they are now in a different dimension and a different time-space reality, working with material and energy in in a new way. So not all of the Nephilim, for example, were capitalizing upon uh, who they were before and and how their structures were able to utilize information. Some of them were. Uh, It's very similar to to what we see on the surface of the earth right now uh, in humans. Uh, the the access is amazing. Uh, the plasmic energy and light that is coming to to the planet today is is activating so many, but not all are are taking advantage of and, and using these energies to their fullest benefit.
0: Some of the ancient uh, Sumerian gods and goddesses, for example, were depicted as being very large in stature compared to what appeared to be more. Uh, average what we know of human beings to be in size today uh, and and these uh sumerian gods were said to have uh possessed great wisdom and they built um very large um cities and and uh taught people different things and so on um, now it appears that unlike the average Nephilim that we just talked about, that some of these uh, Sumerian gods, who also were giant, as we would think of them today, based on our size now, actually did do some extraordinary things, uh, and did create extraordinary societies, and, and so on. Uh, so would you say that um, that they were actually utilizing that potential in that physical structure compared to some of the Nephilim we we're just referring to.
1: The, the key difference here that, that we think is important to note is collective intent. So often we will see a, a hybrid race, for example, come to the earth and through the transition, uh, there is some division or, or separation and, and intent goes in different directions. Uh, and because of this, Uh, there is not a strong unified and resonant force that is able to channel that information for the good. And and in the case of the Sumerians, we see this common intent and and this unified focus where not only is it possible uh, to to channel uh, incredible amounts of energy uh, and bring it through a physical structure to earth, but to use in in a combined fashion, the energy of all others to support an entire civilization. And and that's where many of the ancient practices, for example, that were utilized to create pyramids and and very ornate temples uh, began. Uh, This collective intent is just as important uh, as anything else that is focused
0: upon. In previous conversations we've talked about some of these ancients uh, that are depicted as giants Uh, and even in pre-dynastic Egypt there are similar depictions Uh, and throughout the world some of them are depicted carrying handbags or uh, something at their side now how was this utilized in order to was that something that gave them the ability to access more of that potential to to uh, be more extraordinary, uh, or and without that technology, they would not have been able to do that. Each of
1: these technologies were were slightly different, again, in their intention and their use, and and it is not to say that the metaphysical powers had to be enhanced with a technology. But again, you must remember that the Earth at the time. Uh, existed in in a very different dimension and in a very material vibration, which those who came were not used to. These technologies being being elemental brought the harmony of elements and crystal from their own star systems to be combined with those of earth. And in this way, uh, many of the hybrids that use them found balance and equilibrium between their position on planet Earth and their other former uh, star systems. And and this is a difficult concept that we we want to try and simplify, uh, but imagine this. There are groups of intergalactics that, that will choose to come to a planet like Earth for a specific period of time, Uh, to leave behind a legacy of of teachings or or create civilizations, but they will return. Of course, while they are gone, the star system that that they originate from is going to go through a great deal of evolution. And that evolution may be happening on a different time-space trajectory than the one that they've chosen. So many of these technologies helped them to keep up to speed with the evolutionary process that was going on within their own races, even though they were focused on serving another. And this um, came into being in in so many different ways. In other words, uh, sometimes it was an immediate knowing uh, that something new was available, a a technique, a, a technology, a modality that could be transferred to earth and blended with something else. Or in those in-between moments when um, uh, a, an ancient Sumerian was deciding its work on planet Earth was done and it may return to its, its uh, home civilization, uh, it was being downloaded with everything it needed to um, keep up to speed, uh, to, to find itself in, in the perfect uh, location and the perfect uh, environment to continue its own personal evolutionary process.
0: Okay, so I'd like to now come back to the idea of um, the sacred sexuality and tantra and so on. Uh, We may not finish this conversation this time, but at least we can get started and we'll continue in a future uh, conversation. But uh, before we get into the specifics, can you define uh, what you refer to as tantra because today it's different so can you all define it but also tell us how it's different today from what it was before
1: the most simplified definition of tantra that we can offer is the blending of masculine and feminine energies to perfect balance now this has changed of course uh, throughout many timelines <clears throat> on planet Earth, uh, often because in sexual practice the imbalance of masculine and feminine has been focused upon, and and that imbalance continues to perpetuate today. Or in intimacy. Uh, there is no utilization of the true life force and sexual energy that two souls are able to tap into if they are attentive, fully attentive to each other.
0: In order for, (laughs) you mentioned masculine and feminine balance uh, is uh, one of the fundamentals of Tantra. And so is it necessary for it to be a male and female physiology that are existing in masculine and feminine balance, or can you have two male or two female or any other, anything like that?
1: As we see it today. And as we have seen it throughout history, the chemistry and the biology and the energy of the sacred masculine and feminine are the only two that are able to work this in perfection. And and this is why, they both work completely different sides of the equation and are offering something completely unique to the other.
0: What you're essentially saying then is that we, we, in order to be in an optimal state of balance, we do have to have a male and a female physiology that are existing in that balance. Uh, if I'm, Is that correct so far?
1: When you're speaking of balance, we know there are many who are listening to this transmission who are going to interpret that word completely differently because within the self, masculine and feminine balance can be found even if there is a predisposition to one or the the other. And this is how. Knowing thyself is always going to allow for the masculine or the feminine within you to find its proper balance. And this is why even in a divine feminine soul, the mental and physical bodies can become a perfect manifestation through the feminine and vice versa. But in tantric practice in, in coupling, the idea is that the masculine and feminine energy stem from prime creator and are equal parts of the same vibration. And when they are merged, are not only going to accentuate in the other what is out of balance, but allow them to use their predisposed um, area of focus to an even higher and and more conscious ability.
0: And so in the difference, one of the differences that uh, exists today, then would you say is that We've taken this sacred sexuality more into a physical sexuality um, where today we have lost touch with the spiritual component, but it's become highly physicalized. Even Tantra, as we know of today, is a very physical practice and not as spiritual.
1: And, and perhaps we would use the word energetic as opposed to spiritual because it has become physicalized, but also Uh, very focused on momentary satisfaction and generating creative energy in the lower chakras. And while the lower chakras are, are extremely important, as that energy becomes channeled into the higher, a more spiritually and enlightened soul emerges. So using tantric practice is, is not even sometimes a necessary focus on sexuality at all. It is building the natural life force energy from, from the lower chakras into the higher time and time again uh, to, be, to be sent and spilled over into the vibration of another. But remember also uh, what we have stated about the heart and, and the resonance of the heart Because in ancient tantric practice, uh, the resonance of the heart between the masculine and feminine soul became one, and in that grew a field. And that field was not only beneficial for the the manifestation of what those souls were were meant to do and and able to uh, create on planet Earth, but, but could spill over into the anointing and, and manifestation of others. And this is why these individuals were seen as, as rulers or leaders or mentors. It had less to do with their position of power or decisions they were making and more to do with the energy field that they were collectively building on behalf of their civilizations.
0: Then in that case, the heart connection is absolutely essential to to uh, practicing tantra in 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 the ideal sense, right? So if um so if if somebody is in a couple or a couple situation where there isn't love or harmony in the relationship, tantra would not be uh, would not work in that situation, would it?
1: If a couple is not in a state of love or or highest respect for another. Uh, Tantra or the energy of life force cannot be properly raised and, and here is why. Love has no limits when it is expressed within. And someone who has deep love and respect for themselves would not enter into intimate relationship with another just for the feeling of pleasure. Uh, and, and this is something that everyone should consider, and perhaps even teach to the younger generations, because the the genetic fluids that are exchanged during intimate acts are changing the dynamics of your entire structure. And what you are aiming for is to ensure that you not only become more resilient and and prosperous and strong but that the energy you're cultivating is going to be shared in a beneficial way with others. And that is truly what the origins of intimate relationship is. Uh, It is thought to be uh, for the self and for the other, but the partnership goes well beyond that. Uh, The the relationship between intimate partners is changing the entire planet, uh, or can change, we should say, the entire planet for the better.
0: In more ancient times, didn't some divine feminine um, masters play a role as an as a sexual activator or in tantric practice for individuals who they were not in a loving relationship with?
1: They were not necessarily in a state of servitude in this way, and and and. It certainly depends on the civilization that you are referring to because there are many. Uh, but the most revered, the ones that were um, in the highest intention, for example, uh, knew the value of divine feminine energy because the masculine rulers at the time who would choose, for example, uh, a hair, harem uh, of female beings. We're not doing so to, to show um, any neglect uh, for their well-being, nor to show any any semblance of hierarchy or power. They were receiving something very valuable to be shared with others. It was cultivating a powerful energy that the masculine did not have access to alone. And in some civilizations, this was needed in abundance because there were uh, a great many goals uh, to achieve. And certainly there were challenges that were faced. Uh, So the feminine was revered uh, for the uh, reinstatement and we'll say um, uh, restoration uh, of life force energy necessary in those guiding uh, entire communities. Keep in mind, however, this was not done only in a physical, sexual way. Uh, And unfortunately, many of the stories uh, of these historical times have been changed um, to to slight them, uh, in in a sense. Most of these practices were done in in a meditative stance, uh, collectively and and individually, one-on-one. Uh, the feminine harems were taken extremely well uh, care of because in pampering them, their vibration would culminate and grow and have an immediate effect on on all of those surrounding them.
0: King Solomon is said to have had a thousand wives. Uh, so you're saying that it wasn't a sexual physical relationship he was having with them. They served as, um, as a vessel for energetic contribution to help him to fulfill all of the things that he did in that lifetime?
1: It is not to say that the Tantra that was practiced at that time did not lean into uh, any type of physical contact. But we don't see this as the premise nor the overarching theme of these relationships that he had with these women. Many of them were revered oracles who were bringing energies and insights in from the greater universe. Others were offering restorative breath practice and together time traveling throughout the cosmos to bring back information um, as well as modalities and and various uh, insights that could be capitalized on and used in the civilization that he was uh, focused upon. Uh, There are a variety of stories and scenarios Tantra is never one thing, and we think this is what has been taken out of context in this timeline in how Tantra is practiced. Well, certainly uh, there are ancient instructional uh, practices that can be followed. uh, The best Tantric practice is cultivated personally between one and another, Uh, because every individual is completely different. The key, however, and the foundation is ensuring a rhythmic and succession uh, of breath, Uh, the in and the out breath, um, finding its oneness between the individuals practicing so that everyone is lifting each other up into a higher vibration and dimension
0: what role do the male and female play in a tantric practice that 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 are that's unique to each of them uh, let's start with female for example what what is the what is their role in that interaction
1: the divine feminine is nourishing and replenishing the chi of the masculine because as a physical and, and mentally focused soul uh, that energy is being utilized very rapidly and it is not just lost in sexual practice, which unfortunately has become the norm in the timeline that you are in. It is utilized in, in very practical ways. And so the feminine is, is nourishing and replenishing that masculine energy by, by offering her own because there is a wellspring of access that the feminine has through spirit to the, the, we'll say, plasmic universe. Uh, many speak uh, of the, the cosmic womb or the womb of all creation. We simply see this as a force field, uh, a field that is universal, that, that all have access to. But again, the, the lineage of, of divine feminine beings throughout history, uh, they have practiced this. And because of the way their structure is oriented, having a womb themselves sitting right in the area where life forces generated are more powerful uh, in their ability to share it. So the masculine and feminine relationship is extremely important in this way, as the feminine is nourishing the masculine. And the masculine is perhaps uh, perhaps helping the feminine to achieve even greater bandwidths of energy. It is less to do with a restorative type of transaction uh, as it is a more relaxing and um, uh, softening type of energy. When the feminine is in the arms of the masculine, uh, it does not have to uphold anything that it is not. And in doing so is available to receive all that it is. So, so we see um, uh, beneficial transmissions or, or uh, channelings and offerings going uh, in both directions.
0: Does the masculine typically lose energy or vitality or life force in, uh, in a tantric practice? Um, but you're saying if the practice is done correctly in a heart-centered way, the female replenishes that.
1: Yes, that is correct. Even if there is a physical release of that elixir, the divine feminine in a tantric practice will restore the bounty to the masculine. And and there is a never-ending supply of life force that the masculine is able to tap into.
0: Now, in modern times, um, in the wedding tradition, there's the honeymoon. And honeymoon is a combination of honey and moon. Uh, and I, from my understanding, there appears to be some ancient traditions around the use of honey and honeycomb and the idea of the moon or the lunar cycles. Uh, what is that connection? What's the significance of honey or honeycomb in the tantric practice?
1: Well, the most important, we believe, while there are many is that the honeycomb represents the frequencies of the heart blending together in in two individuals and and becoming a a massive force field in and of itself. It is a geometry uh, no less important than than any other. In fact, uh, those that were blessed with the honeycomb were taking in a, a sacred and physical divination tool to help them better merge their heart centers as one. But we also think about the connection of the hive and how the hive operates. There is a queen. And that queen is supporting all of the bees in doing everything that they must to ensure their sustenance and and prosperity. And perhaps this is the the greatest analogy for how we see the, the masculine and feminine interacting. Well, we don't want to put the feminine Uh, above the masculine uh, by any means it it was well known in these ancient civilizations that that the feminine was the catalyst of this energy in the masculine and and could provide uh, not only for her beloved but also for entire civilizations this unified connection
0: how can the honeycomb or honey be used in a tantric practice to enhance that connection or to enhance the potential?
1: It is symbolic, yet imagine within the honey itself, there is a similar type of elixir and life force capability. And, and this is why um, many today are still using honey as, as a medicinal uh, type of um Um, remedy because within it is the vibration of all those who created it and that vibration is very high so if we are using this as a tool to to enter our tantric practice perhaps what we are doing is setting the vibrational tone and intention of what we want to achieve
0: are lunar cycles or any astrological cycles um, necessary to observe in tantric practice
1: not necessary, but sometimes beneficial. And and there are so many, it would be difficult for us to name them, but the ancients revered the lunar cycles because they knew it was not only a, a passage and a purging of energies not necessary to continue on with them in the next phase, but it was a, an intensified time where the divine feminine was at her peak. In other words, if we are looking at the access to emotion or the access to spirit, the divine feminine is is using the lunar cycle within her own body to cleanse and to purify. So these times were noticed and and certainly uh, revered for these practices.
0: Now in some ancient books, such as the Kama Sutra or even um, modern tantra books, they Use different kinds of physical positions or um, things like that. Is that part of that practice in ancient times? Is it even necessary to have that physical, um, those physical positions that they use in these books or these reference materials? Or can it can tantra be achieved simply by meditating side by side or in some non physical way?
1: Tantra, in our minds, uh, it is a, a meditative practice. It is the synchronizing of breath and the, the two becoming one, however, that best happens between both partners. What you're seeing in, in some of these um, instruction manuals, uh, having to do with physical position, uh, are certain preferences for moving the body in order to heighten the access of life force. It's somewhat like yogic practices. Certain poses are are uh, positioning the body to channel energy or, or to receive it in a heightened sense. Yet we don't think that yogic practice is for everyone uh, in the same way we don't believe that these tantric poses are meant for everyone either. Um, there are so many different options that you can choose uh, in intimacy. As a matter of fact, uh, we think it's important to um, uh, become open uh, to exploring these these various ways of being in intimate relationship uh, to truly find what piques not only your uh, physical and and sexual pleasure but your vibration. That is what's most important. That that blissful orgasmic state is not something that should be taken lightly uh, nor happen in a moment's notice. It is something that can be cultivated throughout your entire life. And and this is uh, perhaps what makes the poses less important than the breath because these may assist in in reaching that high vibrational blissful state in a physical way, but isn't um, supporting a couple or even an individual in carrying that orgasmic state beyond the experience.
0: So in that case, just simply the alternating breath between a male and female is all that's necessary to uh, enter this tantric state or to have a tantric practice. The physical is an optional enhancement, but not required.
1: it it does simplify the practice a bit, but, but yes, we agree that the, the rhythmic breath is the perfect place to start, but the energy has to be cultivated. Remember, this is what we are most uh, uh, concerned about and, and cultivating energy. uh, It can happen within individuals and couples in so many different ways. For example, Um, raising the energy from the lower chakras to the higher is something that in ancient practice was a part uh, of these meditative periods where um, teachers would guide those who were stepping into an an intimate or committed relationship beyond the sexual component to raise kundalini. Uh, Kundalini raised within each individual Uh, can intertwine and can exemplify the response that you are having internally. Uh, This can not only be uh, used as a creative tool in terms of manifestation and and focus of intent, uh, but it can also be very healing to to the physical body in, in all regards. Uh, whether there is uh, some disease in the body, in the mind, uh, in the emotional body, uh, this kundalini energy we speak of, the, the rising of that elixir from the base of the spine uh, all the way up to the crown and through the root is is like a, a, a magical serum. Uh, it is not just meant to to enlighten and raise consciousness, giving humans full access to the pineal gland and and all that is available there but but also helping the body to function better as a holistic vehicle and this is truly what the um, the, the focus and intention was in these civilizations it, it was not just the prosperity and and the abundance of the couple and the civilization, but ensuring that they would live as long as possible in in the the most um, um heightened way, uh, comfortable way that they could to be the best versions uh, of themselves.
0: Does Tantra practice extend lifespan then for the couple?
1: It is practiced in that way. And for that intent. Yes.
0: In ancient times, uh, at least in some biblical stories and other stories as well, it's said that some of these uh, ancients lived for hundreds or thousands of years. Was that because of their physiology or the dimension being different then, or was it a, uh, a tantric practice?
1: Well, it is a combination of both because there are many factors that must be considered. Uh, primarily, those in ancient civilizations were not dealing with the toxic environment that that many of you are today. So they were predisposed to living longer because there was nothing influencing their bodies away from an organic state of life. Uh, in addition to this, we might say their belief systems were completely different than the ones that, that you have adopted now. Um, and these are genetic as well, uh, handed down through lineages uh, we expect to die at a certain age and because that expectation is there, it is wired around the possibility of our leaving the planet. But the way Tantra works right now in this day and age is that it bypasses those limiting beliefs because as the Kundalini rises naturally and works its way into the the higher centers, the the pineal, the, the mind, uh, the crown, uh, you are becoming more uh, not only aware of options that you have at your disposal, either physically or, or spiritually to elongate your life, uh, or you're questioning um, what has been taught to you before uh, about any limitation that that you may have in that way. So, so it's somewhat like breaking all of the physical and spiritual norms in, in one practice.
0: What you're describing about tantra and raising energy uh, in this couple situation. You're not referring to what what seems to be very prevalent in tantric teachings and practice today, which is raising sexual energy to feel that sexual arousal. So you're not referring to a sexual arousal type of energy, you're referring to more of like a bliss state kundalini, which would not be sexual.
1: Well, they seem to be one and the same. Uh, it is just that you are putting a distinction between the two. So sexual energy to us is a spiritual energy, but it has been corrupted in this timeline uh, through, through religious dogma, for example, and in a variety of other things um, in, in, pu- in its purest state, when you are, Raising sexual energy, you are activating life force. That is your creative source moving from deep within you. The problem is it becomes wasted when the intention is simple pleasure. And there is nothing wrong with pleasure. Uh, we as Pleiadians, in fact, uh, enjoy uh, spending time together and, and pleasuring each other. We think this is a very important part of our everyday life. But it is the intent behind that pleasure that is missing. And so for us, when we are in the pursuit of pleasure, we know that that pleasure is going to extend outward to our entire star system because it is ultimately a frequency that is going to signal others and and be shared widely uh, beyond ourselves, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. So, what what becomes available to a couple that practices tantra that they would not otherwise have available?
1: Well, it certainly depends upon the individuals. So it would be difficult for us to put this in a very rigid definition. However, we'll give you some examples of of what we believe can be accomplished and what was accomplished in ancient civilizations. it is It is the um, the willingness of both parties to be open to what they are able to achieve and receive from each other. First of all, we notice that couples become far more telepathic when they are practicing Tantra. And what that means is they're not using that telepathy against each other, but there's a synergistic type of way of moving together in relationship and on the earth to accentuate the divine plans of both parties. And it is somewhat like a beneficial give and take where there is no need to feel slighted or to argue about what is given or what is received. Uh, The couple begins to focus more as one and to think more as one using their individualized gifts and talents uh, where necessary to accentuate each other. And, and this is why Tantra was so uh, revered uh, amongst leaders, for example, in, in, in ancient civilizations like Egypt, because um, to, to truly thrive as a community, uh, very complex plans and, and the orchestration of energy was necessary. And these couples in merging their, their energy were working as one in the most uh, beneficial way possible. Now, in the physical, many, many changes can happen. Certainly, we could go into a great amount of detail on spiritual activation. And and we do notice that partners uh, uh, are coming together in mass lately uh, to spiritually activate each other in a tantric or sexual way. Uh, Some refer to this as a spiritual sexuality, where it is not just a physical experience, but couples are walking away, uh, having very deep insights, uh, channeled encounters, for example, even seeing energy differently simply because they have been together and 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 nonetheless revealing um, the mysteries of their past lives that they have spent together in, in many different incarnations. But most beneficial, we believe, is the self-generating and rejuvenating force of the masculine feminine in tantric balance. There are energies, as we have spoken of from the beginning of this transmission, that the masculine and feminine are both slighted to. And in giving those to each other, there is a unified force within the body itself. The body remembers, it is a holistic vehicle. Cells are no longer acting out on their own and, and naming themselves as something other than the entity and the body that the soul has claimed. Uh, we see organs and systems uh, working more in harmony. We see the uh, nervous system coming into perfect balance and we see souls who have been suffering or, or struggling a great deal with physical life, rising above some of the complications of their 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 karmic lessons, and and easily navigating these uh, far better than what they would have alone. So, so so there are so many benefits we could continue to to discuss, but but we think these are the most um, important uh, of note.
0: Well, we're almost out of time, but then we have one more question before we finish. Are there any other changes that we can make in our physical lives uh, for male and female that would help to enhance or at least uh, cultivate us moving toward a more optimal state of divine masculine or feminine, depending on which sex we happen to be.
1: Regardless of your status with a current loving partner... There are two areas of focus that we believe are most beneficial. We've spoken first of the kundalini and the kundalini rising is something we always recommend. And, and we know it it is made uh, to be very complicated in its process when in fact it is simply a focus on the breath, rising the energy from the lower chakras into the higher. If This was practiced every day. Uh, Those that are divine masculine, those that are divine feminine would be working with the energies uh, of of preference in the most sound and and harmonized ways. In fact, their bodies would respond even better to the orientation of their biology and the chemistry that is meant to to follow them throughout their lifetimes. In addition to this, we mentioned the resonance of heart. And and heart resonance is something that is very difficult to, to both find and hold on to. In this timeline, it is simply because the earth is changing so radically and there's so much going on in in each individual's personal timeline. Yet to spend a few moments a day focused on the resonance of the heart, bringing the breath into this space, expanding the chest and and allowing the energy to enter is is another recommendation. We know this sounds like a very simplified practice, but but to us, uh, it is everything because the more your heart falls into resonance with, with your own personal truth, the more the truth of others becomes honored. And and you will find yourself very quickly uh, within a unified collective.
0: Well, I have one more question since you brought it up. So these days, there are a lot of people on the planet who are either alone or in relationships that are not heart-centered or loving. So how does somebody in those situations, if, uh, if Tantra can bring so much of more of an enhanced life if they don't have access to that right now then how where do they go or is there some practice or way of being they can adopt that would draw in a relationship that would uh, provide for that kind of interaction
1: well for tantra to take place between a couple it must be self-generated first so to practice the self-generation of tantra uh, the rise of the kundalini uh, on your own is a beneficial practice, we believe. It It may draw in a partner simply because expanding your energy field is going to expand your options. Right now, regardless of who you are and whether or not you have a partner, there are multiple potentials that already exist for the right partner to enter at the perfect time. And, and while the time may not be now, you want to cultivate the the perfect energy for the arrival of that partner. And this is a self-rejuvenating force that, that you can personally benefit from as well. So any simple breath practice done alone, we believe can be just as beneficial as one done with a partner. Because remember, as a creative entity and energy, the masculine and feminine is present within all.
0: Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Uh, we went a little bit longer than I planned, but, but thank you all for joining us for another show. And we'll be back again soon with another episode. And we'll continue our conversations where we left off and go into some other interesting topic areas as well.